Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Vintage Faith. Happy Mother's Day. It's important to take this, this day to show appreciation to mom. My mom passed away five years ago and not able to say, I love her, I love you, and have her over for dinner. So take that time to show that you love your mom and, or the mother of your children. I also want to encourage Vintage Faith to be praying that we could gather together again soon, pray that we would have wisdom and know when that time is right. The scripture reading for today is found in James chapter 1, verses 19 and following. Pastor Anthony will be speaking about how important it is to read and meditate upon the Word of God. Listen to what James says. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Good morning, Vintage Faith, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Let's uh, begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the moms and the sacrifice and the, the hard work and the building of children and families that they have poured out in their lives. Just be with them in a, in a very special way today. Lord, be with us as we read Psalm 1 and unpack it. Help your word to speak to our hearts. Strengthen our minds. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're anything like me, this week and, and, and the week before have been difficult. It, it's almost as if the psychological effects of the quarantine are just now beginning to, to really press in on us. Uh, this week, we've and our family has been wrestling with uh, the fact that the kids aren't going back to school. That reality is setting in. Sports are being canceled. That reality is setting in. And I know some of you have lost jobs and it's happened just recently. So the effects of the quarantine, even though we're looking at possibly reopening the country and, and, and there's a lot of talk about that, the effects of all of this are starting to bear down and, and, and really just settle in on us. So the question that, that I have for all of us is how do we be a people? How do we be a people that when this happens, when trials come, how are we rooted? How are we not blown around by every situation that we encounter? 
We're going to look at Psalm 1 today, and Psalm 1 is really an introduction to the Psalms. And we did a message on the Psalms. If you want just a general introduction on the Psalms, go to uh, our iTunes or website and just look. It was a mid-January sermon entitled A Look at the Psalms. But there's really this false dichotomy out there when it comes to learning in, in the Christian faith. And, and sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to build too much up in, in my head. Um, it's, it's really about love and it's really about our, our heart and loving Christ. And the head people might say, well, you're, you can't be all about your, your heart. You need to understand some doctrine. But really, it's both. It's not, we, we can't really pit these two things against each other, and the Psalms really press into that reality. Harold Best says we should strive for a thinking heart and a feeling mind. That's just not separating doctrine from devotion. They're together. In fact, Jesus, our Lord Jesus says in Mark 12, 29 to 30, Jesus answered, the most important, so he's talking about the most important commandment. A scribe had asked him, what is the most important commandment? And he says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. So there it is, heart people, with all your heart, love God with your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind, there you are, the head people, and with all your strength. So the idea is, it's all of you. You're a whole person and just love God with all of it. Your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions. We see this in the book of Psalms with David. Now, if you've read the, the Old Testament, you know there's a lot of narrative in the Old Testament. In the book of 2 Samuel, we read about David's son Absalom scheming and plotting against him. But then in Psalm 3, you can actually read David's prayers when his son is after him and, and conspiring against him. You can hear his heart cry of, of what David was thinking and how he was working his theology out, his heart and his mind. All right, let's get into to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man, so many times in, in, in the Bible, it's going to use the word man, but it's referring to humanity, to men and women. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and and night. So when we hear the word blessed in the Psalms, it's this idea of being deeply content, deep joy in God. In fact, you can do this on your own, but if you do a search on that word blessed in the Psalms, you're going to read things like, blessed are those who take refuge in him. Blessed are those who are near him. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Blessed are those who are satisfied in his presence. So the word blessed has much to do about your relation, my relation to God. So it says, the, the psalm starts with, blessed is the man who walks 
not, so it goes to a negative contrast, not in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers. So there's a little progression here I just want you to see. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want you to see it, that there is a walking, a standing, and a sitting, and a counsel, a way, and a sitting. So I think we can look at it like this. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. So the first step is, okay, the, the counsel of, of the world. The world will say certain things that are against God. So it's counsel. But then it progresses and it says, blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the way of sinners. So now the counsel goes from, from, from a listening to, to an actual standing with sinners. And then it progresses to Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. I have four children who have, most of them at this point, gone through elementary school, and there's just been many, many concerts and events at school where I've come from work a little late and show up, and my family's already there. My, my wife my mom, my other kids, and I'm looking out into the auditorium and I'm saying, okay, where, where are they? Okay, I, I locate them and I walk up to them and I take my seat. These are my people. I'm sitting with them. I'm taking my seat here. And that's the idea here in the psalm. Blessed is the man that does not eventually take the counsel of the wicked and then sit in that seat and plant himself there with the scoffers. Blessed is the man who does not do this. So then the psalm is going to turn to the positive sense. Psalm 1, 2, the, the beginning of Psalm 1, 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. So I just want you to take notice here that God's word here does not say, well, blessed is the man who walks and stands and sits in, in, in this righteousness or doing these things. He doesn't contrast it with that. He contrasts it with a deep heart state. Delight is a deep heart state. Many other religions in the world really get this wrong, and Christianity stands show, above all other religions in this area of desire and love and delight, however you want to say it. And just to give you a little background, um, Buddhism, Buddhism and Greek Stoicism are fairly the same in this way. That Buddhism, the Four Noble Truths, would say all of life is suffering. So the first truth of Buddhism, all of life is suffering. And the second Noble Truth is saying all, the reason we suffer is because we desire we crave things. We want things. We love things. The third is, if you want to end suffering, you have to end, end that craving, that desire. And Christianity stands in stark contrast to that. Christianity is not saying we detach from things that we love. It's saying that there are things that we should love more than others. Augustine was a 4th century Christian monk 
and he wrote uh, some pretty deep stuff. And, and one of the things that he talked about was desire, the desires of our heart. And he said there are three unhappy people, three types of people that are unhappy, three ways that cause unhappiness. And then he says there's a fourth way, which is Christianity. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But there's a fourth way that transcends the three. But the first way, and, and you will, this will resonate with you, and you might say, yeah, that's me sometimes. Or I know someone like that, or I used to be like that. And, and these, are, these categories are not rigid. They're not biblical categories. And you may find yourself in, in, in more than one of them at times. But the first way is the person loves something, and you don't have it. There's something that you deeply desire that you just don't have. And we all know that, and you've met people. In fact, one of the, when I go out to lunch with people in the church and um, have coffee, uh, a lot of times it's just listening to people, and a lot of times there's just, hey, I, I want this. I want a spouse. I want this job. And, and I've fallen into that as well. We all do. But it's, hey, if I get this one thing, I'm going to be happy, but I don't have it, so therefore I'm not. The second thing is the person who loves something, but that thing is harmful to them. So the easiest way to think about this is the person who loves alcohol or drugs. You love it. You, 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 you keep going back to it. You may have a love-hate relationship with it, but there's part of your heart that just longs for it, and you know that it's hurting you. So that person is unhappy. And the third category, Augustine says, is the person who has everything they need to be happy, and yet they still aren't happy because they regard everything they have as trash or, eh, they're apathetic to what they have. And I think a lot of us are going to find ourselves many times in that third category. If you're a believer and you know Jesus and you are in, you're in a good church, you have a good family, and yeah, things aren't perfect, but you're, you're just constantly discontent, constantly not happy. That's the third category. But he says there's a fourth category, and this is the, the Christian, and this is the, the man in Psalm 1, 2 that, that we are talking about, the man who delights in the law of the Lord. So the fourth person is the person whose genuine happiness comes from knowing that there is a chief good for all people, and that chief good is Jesus, God. That person who knows that they, what they have, that God is it. He is the chief good, and everything else I love has to be loved less than him because he is the, the utmost, the highest. He is who I worship. Augustine says that person is genuinely happy. Jesus says it like this. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So genuinely happy is the one who can see God for who God is. 
The psalm begins to, or continues to go on, Psalm 1, 2, the second half says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. So when we hear law, sometimes we have negative connotations um, about that word law, but I just want to explain here. First, the, the law, the Hebrew here is Torah, and the Lord is Yahweh. So it's the Torah, which is instruction of Yahweh, which is the personal name for God. So his delight, blessed is the man who delights in the Torah, the instruction of God. So this is the whole counsel of God. This is the, the, the God who freed his people out of slavery. This is the covenant-keeping, steadfast, loving God. His ways, his wisdom, his beauty. And now, for Christians who can look back, because we have the whole revelation, his Messiah, his cross, the church, the new covenant. Simply put, law here is his word. Blessed is the man who delights in the word of God. And the psalm goes on to say, and on his law, so again, on his law, on his ways, his attributes, his, his salvation, his Jesus, his cross, his word, his wisdom, on his law, he meditates day and night. Now we have to do a little deconstruction on the word meditate. Meditate in our culture today has taken on an entirely different idea than meditation in the Christian religion. In our culture, to meditate many times means to clear your mind, to, to basically get everything out of your mind, to, to look for inner peace. And here it is not at all referring to that. It's actually the exact opposite. It means to well, the, the Hebrew, to, to meditate means to growl, to moan, to, to, to speak, to utter. And it's this idea of taking something in, taking it in and thinking it through and turning it over and, and, and trying to figure out the meaning. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Eat This Book. And it's a fantastic book. If you have not read it, I would recommend it. But it's about meditation and meditating on the word of God. And he says, basically, he's making a case that it's really a lost spiritual discipline, meditation on the word. And he uses this story to define what meditation is. He had a, a, a cabin out in the Montana woods, the Montana wilderness. And he had a dog that would frequently bring large bones from dead animals back to the camp. And the dog would bring the bone back. He would show them, hey, I got the bone. Um, tell me that, that, I'm, that I'm great. Give me my, my praise like a dog needs. And then he said the dog would kind of take the bone, go under a tree, and just begin going at the bone, licking it and turning it over. And he said he would hear a growl from, the, from his dog as he was doing this, like a low purr, almost like a cat Purrs, and I've noticed this with my dog. If I give him a, a peanut butter jar, he'll just go at it, like just going after that peanut butter, and there's just a delight in him as he's doing it. And Peterson says um, he was a, he, a Hebrew scholar, and he said he was reading Isaiah 31.4 in Hebrew, and to his delight, he realized in 
That verse, it says, is a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, that the word growls is the same word for meditate, hagah. And it's this idea, again, delighting in, like a, a lion growling over its prey, is sitting down with whatever it just killed and just delighting in that meal, purring. And that is what meditation is. So I would just challenge you, if this is something that you don't do when you read the Bible, think about it. And here's, I want to give you three practical ways that, that you can do this. First, when, when you're reading the Bible, a slow reading with your heart and mind. You can pause as you're reading. Stop. Think about what you're reading. What does it mean? Pray through what, what you're reading. Think some more. Or fixing your mind on a truth, a truth that you find in the Bible. Maybe it's a verse. Maybe it's a paragraph. Maybe it's a, a story in the Bible. Maybe it's an attribute of God. And just thinking about it throughout your day. You might be, whatever you're doing, working throughout the day, just have it in the back of your mind, thinking about that story, preaching truth to yourself. We see this in the Psalms. Why are you cast down, O my soul? We speak truth to ourselves. When we're feeling discontent, when we're not feeling joyful, or we feel like we're missing something, telling ourselves, no, I, I have everything. I have the God of the Bible who is for me. Amy and I recently found a, a project on the Psalms, on, uh, which is a, it's a husband and a wife band, um, and they, they're singing a psalm a week for, I think it's 150, 150 weeks, 150 psalms, a psalm a week. And what I've been trying to do and doing this with, with my wife, and, and believe me, we do not do it consistently, so I don't want to give you any idea that that I have this discipline down. I'm struggling with it. But what we have done and, and, and I have found to be very helpful is just read through a psalm, talk about it, pray through it. And then for, for a week or a few days or two weeks, listen to that psalm being sung. And it's just a way to get it deeply into your mind in your heart. And, and there's many other ways, many other practical ways to do this. And, and I would just say, if you don't do this, why not? Why not try it? Meditating on the Word of God. Why meditate? Why think upon God's Word? Why really take it deeply into our hearts? Um, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And of course, none of us think this is us, but the reality is it's all of us. We all have natural inclinations of, of our desires, our hearts that we think are right. But when we read God's word, God's word actually reads us and tells us, oh no, that's, that's not, that's not reality. We don't make idols today and fashion them out of our, our hands, but we're certainly prone to make idols, gods, in our minds. Mark Sayers is, is an author that I read quite a bit. He's, um, 
he's my age and he, he really does speak to my generation and, and below and, and younger and he's got a, a lot of good things to say. He has a, a book called Disappearing Church and he's, he's speaking again to my generation and below and he's saying, if we're not in the word, if we're not in the Bible, understanding who God is, we are going to take a, a, a part of the Bible and, and the God in the Bible and we're going to take the culture's view of what God should be, and we're going to fashion a God in our mind. Let me read you a quote from him in the book. He says, the temptation is to do what it takes for the pressure to go away. All the believer must do is ease up on the beliefs that grate against contemporary sensibilities. Tweak your view on sexuality to be more embracing of today's mood or move from a particularist view of Jesus to a universalist view of Jesus, and you are warmly embraced into the fold of culture. For many Christians raised with the ethic of relevance or proving to the world that Christians can be both believers and carry the currency of cool, the temptation proves to be too much. So all he's saying here is, hey, if we, if we don't really dig into to the Bible and know who this God is, we're going to be tempted to take things away from the God of the Bible and add things that the culture says that he should be like. And at that point, if we do it, we have a false God. We don't have a real God. We've been reading some of the Proverbs with our kids. I have four children young children, and, and we're all home, so we find ourselves having way more time on our hands than ever, which has been a blessing and, and a challenge at times. We're reading Proverbs, and I don't remember which kid, but one of my kids said something that just, they kind of assumed that, oh yeah, mom and dad, you, you guys know this, but I'm learning it, and, and that doesn't seem right to me, but it must seem right to you. And I had to correct them and say, no, I, I read the Bible and I read Proverbs and it grates against me too. I'm learning too. Because there's a way that seems right in my heart of how I should use my time. And in the end, that way leads to death. There's a way that seems right in my heart of how I should use my sexuality. But in the end, that leads to death and destruction. There's a way in my heart that seems right of how I should use my money. But in the end, it's not good. There's a way in my heart of, of how I feel when someone wrongs me or says something. I want to I wanna fight. <clears throat> I want to push back. And, and that feels right. It would feel good. But it leads to destruction. There's a way in our hearts of how we think we should use our influence. But God says, no, use it like this. And ultimately, there's a way that seems right in our hearts of what God is like. And when we read the Bible, we find out, no, my invention uh, in my mind of God is not the God of the Bible. You probably hear this, this term a lot. I, I hear it quite a bit. Some will say, well, my God is not a God of, and then fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. And the problem with that is that statement, my God is not a God of, is most likely an idol, not a god. Peterson says in, in the book that I was referring to, he says, when we open this book, the Bible, 
and find that page after page, it takes us off guard, surprises us, and draws us into its reality. It pulls us into participation with God on his terms. The word of God convicts. It pushes against what we think is the right way. And if that's not happening to you, you're just not reading the Bible enough because when you read it, you're going to run into things and like, oh man, that's difficult. That's hard. And that's a way to meditate on difficult passages or difficult stories. Just think through them. And maybe instead of saying, hey, well, I reject this God, you can say, well, this is the word of God and he knows I am not God, he is there must be something good in this. The psalm goes on in verse 3. Psalm 1, verse 3. So again, we're talking about the man who, who meditates on the, the word of God, who delights in the law, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Psalm 1, 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. They yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. So first, this person is firmly planted. By, it's, it's like a tree by streams of water. That's representing a tree that is healthy, that, that roots go deep. This person also has fruit. And when you think about fruit, think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, self-control, patient kindness. Of course, they're not perfect, but they have fruit. It's an increasing in a way. You know, our, our lives are really, in many places, how you are today is a result of many of your choices. Now, God is sovereign, and there's many things that are well beyond your control, but there are many things within your control. And who you are today is, is a result of, of many of your choices, many days before that. And I want you to think about that when it comes to just Bible reading in general. And I don't want you to think about this from a legalistic, like, hey, you have to read your Bibles. But think about it from this angle. Reading the Bible daily or however much you can read it, just meditating on it, thinking through it, letting it change you day in, day out, day in, day out. When trials hit, you're going to be a deeper person. You are going to be a rooted person. Someone where just the wind and the waves don't blow you all over. You're going to have a firm foundation. And that doesn't happen overnight. That happens over time. And if you're thinking, well, hey, I'm not, I don't delight always in reading the Bible. And I would say, I, I don't either. But there is something to discipline. And it's not legalism. Discipline is, hey, I'm going to do this because I know it's right even when I don't feel like doing it. And you all know this because Every one of you that has a job goes to work even when you don't feel like it. And you know if you didn't go to work when you don't feel like it, you're probably not going to have a job much longer. So 
Think about that when, when it comes to a discipline of, of reading the Bible, that many times you're going to pick up the Bible and you don't want to read, but five minutes in, ten minutes in, you're, you're okay. This is, I, I do now, and, and, and that your heart can change. Our hearts are, are fickle. The third thing in, in verse 3, the fruit does not stop in a drought. The leaf does not wither. So that's the idea that, okay, this person has fruit, and in the winter or off-season or when there's a drought, the leaves are still healthy. This is a picture of somebody getting sustained deeply, deeply. Fourth thing about this person, he prospers. This is not prosper materially, although it could include that. This is, this is not the prosperity gospel type prosper. This is prospering in God, no matter what your situation, having joy and being rooted and having contentment and having peace. And, and what I would want to challenge all of us on this morning is you may know Jesus. You have salvation. You, are, you know him. You love him. And this blessed person may not be you. This is a picture of, of a believer who is digging into the word of God, who's rooting themselves. We have pictures all over the New Testament of believers that can be tossed around by the slightest wind and the slightest new teaching and, and just being tossed around like waves. But Psalm 1 is saying, blessed is the person who's going deep into the word. And when trials come, when a season of winter comes, they still have fruit. So I would ask the question, could it be that you were in the category which Augustine says, you have everything, you have Christ, you have a great church, you're, you have a great family, you have the word of God in your, your house, but you're just kind of like, eh, eh, it's, it's all right. Could that be you? And, and to an extent, we all fall into that category at times. But even more, I would want to press you if you're listening and say, are you worshiping a God of your own making? Because that God, whatever God that you've created, whatever God that you've pieced together of a God of the Bible and a God of the world and a God that you think should be God, that God's not going to be worthy of worship. Of course you're not feeling like you want to worship that God. Of course, your heart's not delighting in that God. You've made that God. That God is a figment of your imagination. So just ask yourself those questions. Lastly, in Hebrew poetry, much contrast is used. So the point of Psalm 1, if you go back and read this psalm on your own, the point of it is, blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord and the word of God and meditates on it day and night. That's the entire point. Now there's contrast used in this, like, hey, the wicked are like this and um, the righteous is like this, but at the end we have a contrast. So the, the, the righteous person is rooted with roots that go deep in delighting in the law, law of the Lord. And Psalm 1-4 says the wicked are not so, they are like 
chaff and the wind drives away, that the wind drives away. So all who deny God, all who are, are, are saying, hey, I don't mock God, God is, 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 is not real, and they're, they're like chaff. And chaff is the unusable part of the grain. Um, in fact, when they were separating the chaff from the wheat, you throw it up into the wind, and it would blow away at the slightest wind. I don't know where you put your time in, in your vitality, in your effort. I'm married. I have four kids, um, two jobs. Uh, for four years, was pursuing a master's degree. My kids play sports. Coach one of those kids. Um, I can go out, go through a week, a month, a year, and think, what, what am I doing? doing with my time? What am I doing? Is any of this going to last? Is any of it going to be going to just build on something that, that's meaningful? Of course, everyone that has kids, yes, we love our kids, but you know, really, this sport to that sport, and I, I'm a, I love sports. Where are you putting your effort? In the end, only one thing will last, and that's God's word, and God's people. In fact, Psalm 1, 5 to 6 ends this way. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In the beginning of this crisis, the, the coronavirus, there were a few moments that just seemed really heavy. I remember uh, March Madness being canceled, and, and then it was like the Major League Baseball, then NBA, and I don't remember what order. And then I remember my kids coming home. It was the last day of school. Like, really? School is canceled? Everything. And then stock market's plummeting. Church, we can't go to church. And it's like, what is happening? And many people, even non-Christians, are thinking, is this it? Is this the final judgment? Is this, is this the end? And if you, should, if you haven't listened to, go back and listen to Pastor Ken's sermon on this. Nobody knows the end. But what happened, I think, and what is happening is a whole new awareness to the fragility of mankind is happening. Man in his pomp and his pride we're getting a small taste of this, that we are smaller than we think, we're more fragile than we think. A little invisible virus has shut down the world. There is going to be a judgment in the end, and it'll be, for those who don't know Christ, more frightful than any of this. So if you don't know Jesus, I would just implore you, he is reaching out his hand and he is saying to you, come, come. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You don't have to be in the category of the wicked. In fact, we're all sinners. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He took the penalty. So we don't have to. And he's saying, just believe me, have faith in me, turn to me. 
So if you haven't done that, I would just implore you, please do that. And if you have questions about that, you can email in, you can call, you can get a hold of us, find a way to get a hold of us. We would love to talk to you. In the book of Joshua, Israel is standing on the edge of the land that they have been promised for their inheritance. Moses has just died. He led them out of slavery. He led them out of Egypt. And for 40 years, they wandered in the desert. But now they're, they're on the edge of the land, and Joshua has, is the new leader. He's succeeded Moses, and God is speaking to Joshua. Now imagine this. Joshua is about to take over a million people crossing the Jordan into a land where he's going to have to battle and fight and rout them out and settle his people in this land. This is no small task. And God is speaking directly to Joshua. And he says to him, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It sounds a lot like Psalm 1. Meditate on it. Keep it in your mind. This is what God is telling Joshua. Later in the book of Joshua, Joshua just declares, he says, for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Well, how is he serving the Lord? Because he's staying close to his word. Let's as a people, church, vintage faith, let's stay close to his word. We have during this pandemic, during this quarantine, maybe an opportunity that that we will, well, most likely an opportunity we'll never see again, and that's time. And I would just ask, how are you using your time? You can use it to dig into his word. You're not going to understand it all, but that's fine. Just dig in, think it through, think about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you did not leave us as a people without guidance, that you've given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts and you've given us the word. The Spirit in our hearts cries out, Abba, Father, and the Spirit in our hearts help us, helps us to understand your word. It is a lamp to our feet. It's a guide. God, let's use this time as a, as a church to, to dig in to understand more of who you are. So when the next trial comes, we will be a people that are deeply rooted, deeply planted in your word. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.